Exodus 25, verse 8, God commands Moses, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show you. That is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings. Just so you shall make it. Today on Rooted Daily, we're talking about God's instructions for the tabernacle and what it meant for his people then and now. Welcome to Rooted Daily, the podcast where we are rooting ourselves in the Bible so we can grow with God a little more every day. I'm Brandon Levy, and at the close of Exodus 24, God's people have received the law, and they've entered into a covenant with God. They said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And through that law, the Israelites were made into a unique, holy nation devoted to worshiping Yahweh. Now, we're going to turn the page over the next few weeks, and we're going to see what that worship was supposed to look like, because the Israelites don't know yet. You know, they probably have some ideas. Obviously, carving idols wasn't how it was going to be done, but the specifics are still completely unknown to them. And the worship they've seen before in Egypt and even the worship of Abraham uh, and the other fathers was different from what God was going to prescribe here. So for today, we're going to talk about the first three chapters, Exodus 25 through 27, the ones that describe the tabernacle. And our text starts out in Exodus 25, verses 1 through 9. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. So, as you read that, what stands out that God values as he's building his tabernacle? I mean, just a, a few chapters before in Exodus, didn't God say, you can worship me over a pile of mud for all he cared? You know, this sure seems like a very fancy pile of mud, gold, silver, bronze, sweet incense. But the law always taught, it's not about the altar. It's about what's on the altar. God values sacrifice. And that's what he asks for here. Sacrifice. God, through Moses, asked the people for a contribution. No one's taxed. No one's forced to give. It's a free will offering. And we can learn from that. First, we can learn that there are some cases where it's reasonable to let a need be known and give people the opportunity to give. Churches shouldn't be shy about being upfront about needs. But the people were not forced to give here. You know, some churches put a whole lot of pressure on people to give to the point where you feel uncomfortable or guilty for not giving or uh, not giving enough. And that usually means the church is focused more on the altar, that thing they think they need to get done, than the spirit of sacrifice. You can't force sacrifice. We may think a certain thing needs to be done, a certain dollar amount needs to be raised to get it done, but God is not limited by dollars. He can take a few fish given sacrificially and feed 5,000. For him, 
it's not about how much is given. He cares that it's given freely and out of sacrifice. And second, we can learn here the Israelites uh, in Exodus 35, we see that they gave so faithfully and so generously, they had to be restrained from giving any more. That's how God wants us to give. Not because we feel guilty or because we see others giving or we feel uncomfortable if we don't give. No, we give because God has given us so much, not out of compulsion, but out of love. And remember, this may seem like an extraordinary ask from God. I mean, the Israelites are just wandering through the desert. Where are they going to find all of these jewels and, and precious uh, resources? But just before leaving Egypt, what happened? All their Egyptian neighbors threw their possessions on them to get them to leave. In other words, God provided it all. The Israelites were just holding on to it, dragging it through the desert. And I imagine most of what they were taking behind them was used to build the tabernacle. So now that they have collected these materials, God gives Moses the blueprints for the tabernacle. There would be an ark of testimony, a table for the showbread, a, a golden lampstand, a wooden structure with curtains, and a veil to separate the holy of holies, a bronze altar, and an outer court. And, and God is very specific about all of this. Exodus 25, 9 says, according to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of its furnishings, just so you shall make it. Exodus 25, verse 9. Now God says that for God to be with his people, to dwell in their midst, this pattern for the tabernacle must be made exactly as God shows it to Moses. Again, in Exodus 25, 40, and see that you make them after the pattern for them, which is being shown you on the mountain. God is specific, and where God is specific, we need to listen. There isn't room for us to substitute if he is clear about the way he wants something done. We're never going to think up something better than God. So the construction of the tabernacle was not left up to how Moses felt or what he wanted to give God. Moses must make the tabernacle just like God showed him. Why? Because even though the tabernacle was going to teach the Israelites a lot about their relationship with God then, it was also always meant to point forward and be a prophecy of what's to come. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. They serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. You know, the pattern God gives Moses, writer of Hebrews says, always pointed forward to Jesus. And I don't think that means we should go through Exodus here and, and dissect every word and figure out how it all points to the new covenant as a one-to-one -one relationship. But generally, the pattern laid down points ahead. You've got the ark. Exodus 25 verses 10 through 22 describes it. It says, Build an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits shall be its length, the cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height, and you shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and out you shall overlay it, and you shall make it on it a molding of gold all around. Skip forward, and you shall put into the ark the testimony which God would give them. So God prescribes this ark, and then he prescribes poles that would be used to carry the ark because the ark was holy. No one was to directly touch it. If you did, you would die. He also describes a mercy seat with two cherubim of gold carved on either side. Again, 
This means not all religious carvings were prohibited or idols were prohibited. This one specifically prescribed. And between these two cherubim is where God would speak, their wings covering his glory, it says. The ark was to store the Ten Commandments, as well as a jar of manna, Aaron's staff, the bronze snake. These were all physical reminders of God's law, his miracles, his provision. And God used his ark to demonstrate his power. We see it at the crossing of the Jordan River or the destruction of the Philistine idols. It was to go before the people when they were traveling as a symbol that God was their leader and they were to follow wherever he led. So in scripture, we see these arcs, three arcs in the Old Testament. We have Noah's Ark as a place of salvation from the flood. Moses' Ark as a place of safety uh, when his mother tried to save him from genocide. And now this Ark of the Covenant. And in the same way, this was going to bring Israel's salvation. This is the place of mercy. This is the place of atonement. You will come into the presence of the Lord and find atonement and mercy. And that's exactly how it's used in the New Testament. Paul writes to the Romans, and this is in the uh, NET translation, for there is no distinction for all who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God publicly displayed him at his death as the mercy seat accessible through faith. That was to demonstrate his righteousness because God and his forbearance had passed over the sins previously committed, Romans 3. Now, other translations read that God put Jesus forward as a propitiation or a sacrifice of atonement. It's the same Greek word, though, used in Hebrews to talk about the place of mercy and atonement. It's all this Exodus language. Jesus is our place of atonement. And what the Ark of the Covenant represented with the mercy seat is what Jesus is for us. We come to Jesus and we find mercy. Then in Exodus 25, verse 23, we have the table of the showbread. You shall also make a table of acacia wood, and you shall set the showbread on the table before me always. The bread always represented the presence of God, just like the manna did in the wilderness and the provision of God too, right? But now there's a new significance here right? Just before this, because of the institution of the covenant, Moses, Aaron, his sons, 70 of Israel's elders were able to see God. And when they did, they ate and they drank a covenant meal in his presence. So now the bread and wine situated just outside the most holy place are a continual reminder of the covenant that God, who's just behind the curtain, has made with his people. It's a picture of continual communion with God. So when Jesus comes, he declares himself to be the bread of life, which we rightly understand to point to his provision and his sufficiency. But listen to exactly what Jesus said at the time. He says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him, John 6, 34. That's not just about provision. It's about relationship. It's about communion with God. Through Jesus, we have true life and we will never perish so that we are forever with the Lord. Table of showbread points forward 
to the communion we have with God, not just on Sunday morning, but through our entire lives because of the bread of life, because of Jesus. Through the body of Jesus, we have everlasting life and can forever be in God's presence. Verses 31 through 40 describe the uh, golden lampstand made out of pure gold, six branches coming out of it. Uh, practically speaking, tabernacle would be dark. It was covered in curtains, no windows. So this would provide a distinct light inside. How does that point forward? Well, light has always been a picture of God. Light is the presence of God. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. First John 1, 5. Uh, John opens his gospel describing Jesus as the light that gives light to everyone. John 1, 9. Uh, Jesus declared in John 8, 12 that he is the light of the world. And whoever follows him will have the light of life. So light brings life. And Jesus is the light that shows us the way to the presence of the Lord. Keep going into uh, chapter 26. And we start to get this detailed list of instructions for uh, the tabernacle structure itself. And again, in verse 30, there's this emphasis on following the specifics God gives. You shall erect the tabernacle according to the plan for it that you were shown on the mountain. Again, where God is specific, we should listen. And then we get to verse 33. And now the whole tabernacle is covered in these blue and purple scarlet curtains. But verse 33 says there's another curtain, a special curtain that should be made. This one of thick woven linen and it should separate the holy place from the most holy place, the area of the tabernacle where the Ark of the Covenant was to be placed. The priest could come into the holy place, but not the most holy place. And in a way, the tabernacle is now a model of Mount Sinai. Only Moses was allowed to go up into the cloud, into the presence of the Lord. Seventy-three others were allowed to come up some of the mountain, and the rest of Israel remained at the foot. So now, the tabernacle allowed only the high priest one time a year on the Day of Atonement to go into the presence of God. The priest could enter the holy place for service to God, and the rest of Israel remained outside completely. Matthew 27 verse 50 says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. He yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple, that veil prescribed in Exodus, was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. You know, when Jesus died, the curtain split in the temple. Priests were always working uh, in the holy place, and now suddenly the most holy place becomes visible. So the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled with an evil or from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. In the tabernacle, with all of its divisions and tears uh, and, and levels of entry, was a reminder of the separation between God and man and the barrier to atonement and sacrifice, which rested in the ark in the most separated part of that tabernacle. You know, the purpose of the curtain was a separation between God and the people because of our sin. And through Jesus, the separation is gone. We can boldly enter the presence of God because Jesus has gone before us and opened the way for us. Jesus goes 
into the holy places of heaven, tearing down the curtain that separated us from God so that through his own blood, we can be with God and God can dwell with us. Now today we can look at the tabernacle and see that it was just a shadow of the presence of God that we can enter now. And that'll do it for this episode of Rooted Daily. I cannot wait to sit down and open up God's word with you next time. Thank you for watching this episode of Rooted Daily. We're praying that you're growing with us as we study the Bible and use God's word as our only foundation. If you appreciate this content, you want to make sure others see it, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app, hit the share button. Most importantly, if you're ready to take the next step, repent, be baptized, and hand over your life to Jesus, let's talk today. Just send me a text to 317-207-2734.